Like, I think there was always a lot to relate to Aloy with, but she made it hard to empathize with because her personality was just so like, okay, on to the next mission objective. I don't know. It was just sort of like, okay, this person is like a machine in a world of machines. (laughs) Just sort of getting more of her inner monologue um, and just seeing her vocalize her struggles with how to form social connections with people was really, really cool. Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. I'm your co-host Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Let's start the episode as we always do with our Patreon shoutouts. This is our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier for the month of May. So that's a very big thank you to Genevieve, Lindsay, Jackie, Pimhatai, Adi Yinka, See The Mess, Ava, and Sammy. Thank you all so much for your continued support. We really, really appreciate you. Bunches mm-hmm. and bunches. Remember, folks, if you want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod where you can subscribe for as little as just $2 a month and get access to our monthly bonus series that we call Co-op Mode. In our May bonus episode, we learned how many calories are in a fool's gold loaf sandwich (laughs) and talked about Road Warden and Star Wars Jedi Survivor. So if those sounds like things you want to hear us talk about and learn more about yourself, (laughs) uh, you should come on over to the Patreon and check it out. We're having a fun time over there, and there's lots of good bonus content that you can get access to. Yes, you should. Go do it. Of course, if you're a fan of what we do here on Pixel Therapy, please consider sharing us with your friends and family, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, or even writing into the show by emailing us at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. All right, Spencer, it's time to get cozy. Pull up an armchair. (laughs) Feel free to lie down on the couch. And let's talk about our feelings. To... Show a little bit behind the curtain to all of our (laughs) listeners here. We are recording this episode a week early, a week earlier than we usually do. Usually we would record the weekend before the episode comes out, but due to some awesome travel that Spencer has coming up. (laughs) It's all my fault. very fun. (laughs) Yeah, I just want to make sure the blame is clear. Uh, No, Spencer's (laughs) doing very cool, fun life things. So we're recording a week early, and that means that we just experienced the PlayStation Showcase in our lives. So fresh. So fresh. Um, And we figured we'd take a a moment to chat about it at the top of the episode Mm -hmm. today, um, because I think we have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) None of my... (laughs) Oh, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) I was just gonna I was just gonna kick it to you. I just want to know what we haven't talked about this at all, which is rare. Usually we have to talk to each other about a thing yeah, before we, we ever get it back. on the podcast. We held back. We saved it for content. That's yeah. like real friends. Do. That's right, exactly. Is it a conversation if people other people who you don't know aren't listening to it? Not yeah, I don't think it counts. <laughs> it's like, uh, let's not talk about this now. Let's save it for the podcast. Yeah, um yeah. Spencer, what did you think of the PlayStation Showcase? Well, none of my predictions came true, came to pass. Yeah. I was hoping none for... None of my hopes and dreams. No, none. That's fine. They were just dashed <laughs> uh, upon the rocks, but that's fine. Um, By Jim Ryan. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, okay. I think the one, the main thing I'm super excited about 
well, I guess other than games, is there is going to be a new handheld. Woohoo! Excited there about is. that. Remote play only, though. Yeah. You have a Steam Deck. I do have a Steam Deck, but it's like, look, I, I do think to myself, wouldn't it be awesome? I, okay, and things are coming to PC, but I... <laughs> Sometimes you mm-hmm, want to play mm-hmm. Horizon Forbidden West in the comfort of your palm, and like that would be cool. Yeah, I'm just saying there's there's ways to do that with a Steam Deck. Oh right, okay. <laughs> well, then they better start releasing some handheld <laughs> titles. We're still in the hey, we haven't gotten a release date. We haven't even gotten like a product name, so I feel like maybe yeah, things that, could change. Yeah, it's I. I'm hmm. I, you're big into you're bigger into handhelds than I am. So I think it makes sense mm. that you're probably more excited about this device than I am. I really like am whatever. Going to be cur- <laughs> well, I'm just really going to be curious to hear how well it actually remote plays. I mm. think it, creating a device that is remote play only, which means I'm pretty much probably going to just be using this within the walls of my home. Like this is very much a like I want to mm. play in bed instead of on the couch, which for me is not that big of a selling point personally. Um, I just, I just think if this device comes in like over $200, it's like, (sighs) yeah, yeah, you know, it also looks weird as shit. I think it's going to be super comfortable to hold because it's literally just using the dual sense controller, but it literally yeah. looks like someone like fucking took a just saw cut it and like cut a, cut a dual sense <laughs> in half and just slapped a big tablet in the middle of it, which yeah. is like, yeah, that's all we need, but <laughs> you really and didn't hey, uh, go any further with this. Like, I will say the the Nintendo Switch, very uncomfortable for me to hold and play for long periods yeah, of time. Yeah, big agree. The Steam Deck, more comfortable to play for mm-hmm. long periods of time, but I still sort of struggle with the heaviness sometimes. Like, it's, yep. it's quite yep. heavy. So if this mm-hmm. somehow <laughs> struck a happy medium between, like, the weight of the Switch and the comfort of the sort of thick handles of a, of a classic yep. controller... That could mm-hmm. be for that could make for a very pleasant gaming experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. What do you think about the earbuds? Oh fuck! I totally missed that. <laughs> Tell they me showed about them the like, earbuds. <laughs> well, they showed them for like five seconds right after they showed the what is it? Project Q is Project what they're Q, calling this yeah. handheld right now. Which is weird to me that you, they unveiled it without a name. I yeah, I'm so curious as to whether or not we're going to get another showcase later this year. Because I think they were holding back. It sure felt like it, right? It just, I mean, where, I don't know. I wasn't disappointed in what they showed, but mm-hmm. I was disappointed in what they didn't, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as you alluded, all, none of your predictions came true. There's so many Sony studios that we just don't, we either don't know what they're working on or we haven't seen it yet. Like, mm-hmm. like we know Naughty Dog's working on the Last of Us multiplayer game, mm-hmm. but we haven't really seen anything other than like a few images on a screen, Mm-mm. like a title treatment. We haven't even seen like a CG trailer no. for that game, like nothing. Um, and then there's so many studios that like we we believe that Sucker Punch is working on a follow up Ghost of Tsushima game, but mm-hmm. haven't seen anything like Team Asobi that makes um oh the little dude uh. Fuck, I've got a thing up on my desk. Astro. Astro's Playroom. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. Like, what are they working on? They must, mm-hmm. we know they're working on something. Um, Sony Bend is working on something. No idea what it is. Uh, Sony Santa Monica, what's their next thing going to be? Of course, like, I know there's more studios than that that I'm not even thinking of. But it's just like, yeah, what are, 
yeah. all these folks Let's cut doing. In. We didn't get to see any of that. And instead, they showed us several CG trailers of what the new multiplayer dev, like, studios that they've acquired are working on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I just, I, I don't feel, who am I to tell I the mean, Sony marketing gods how to do their <laughs> job? But I just don't know what those CG trailers gained us, because we those games are unknown quantities. Mm-hmm. And a CG trailer doesn't tell us anything about it can give you like some sense of the aesthetics, but you have no sense of the gameplay or what the game's actually going to be, nor can you fully trust it when it's a CG trailer and not actual gameplay. So Mm -hmm. when you have an unknown property and then you're advertising it with something that is known to not be true to what the game will be, I just, I didn't feel like I learned anything about what those experiences are going to be. It felt really generic Mm. compared to what PlayStation's usually able to offer. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that point is interesting. I feel like, for me, what I see a lot of pushback online from gamers <laughs> who <laughs> uh, aren't into PlayStation, a lot of the big complaint is that PlayStation focuses too much on these uh, epic narrative driven like RPG single player experiences. And, and what PlayStation doesn't have is like really good uh, multiplayer like mm-hmm. uh, FPS or like kind of like co-op kind of games that you can play with a bunch of people. I mean, there's like Fall Guys and there's like Call of Duty now. Um, and yes, Sony acquired Bungie. So, you know, stuff. But like, yeah, I do feel like I felt like some, seeing all of that, like there's that new heist game coming out where you're like mm-hmm. robbing the ultra fair rich. Games. Fair games. Fair games. Fair games. games. <laughs> yeah. And that's from stars. Haven Studio. Uh, Foam stars look bad. That looked just bad. Everyone's calling it like a cross between Splatoon and Persona, which was like, okay. Yeah, the music was very Persona esque, but that, uh, I don't know, that game did not look enticing to me at all. (laughs) I wasn't sure what to make of it. It was a complete Splatoon ripoff. Yeah, no. So I guess from a standpoint of trying to attract more types of gamers, I yeah. I can see the the sudden push for what felt like uh, a shift in terms of like what someone might expect from PlayStation. Um, mm-hmm. But I hear you. It did feel much more about hype generation than actual like insight into um, what the gameplay would be for any of these things. Or yeah. um, I think there was. Uh, I was surprised by all of the sort of remake launches. I, I guess, I don't know if I'm in a minority here, but I'm sort of sick of just remaking everything. Like, yeah, I guess mm. Metal Gear Solid. I don't know. I, I've never played any of the Metal Gears. Have you? Well, actually, that's a lie. I played like half of the first one with a friend, like passing the controller back and forth. I've played um, a snake in Super Smash Brothers Melee. That's my only <laughs> exposure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a big stealth gameplay person generally, and I it's my understanding that's the bulk of those games, so I don't know if I would enjoy them, but I'm intrigued by the prospect of a remake. Again, though, that's another, you know, what we saw with the um, the remaking the third one, mm-hmm. I think, Snake Eater, but supposedly where that's set in the timeline, it's like narratively the first thing. Mm. So it's like a game that went back in time compared to, Metal Gear One and Two, Metal Gear, so- <laughs> Metal Gear Solid One and Two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. And the way Konami is these days, I just, 
I don't know if I we'll see mm. if when they actually show gameplay if I want to play that. I'm intrigued and a like fancy modern game would be more likely to entice me than going back to play oh, for sure. An an older one. Yeah. But yeah, I, Metal Gear doesn't particularly excite me either. Yeah. Aside from the handheld, were there any games you saw that you were excited about? Yeah, I mean, if anything, I was super stoked about so many of the indie titles that were showcased. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like um, while people were freaking out about Metal Gear Solid and New Final Fantasy, I was like super hype on a lot of the smaller titles. Um, and it was just like... I don't know. I read there's what, like 30 game trailers that were dropped at this showcase. So there was like so much to parse, but a couple of standouts for me were definitely um, Neva, I think is maybe the pronouncement that uh, pronunciation coming out of the same studio that did Gris, I think. Um, That's I know that one's Greece. Oh, Greece. Great. Thank you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But um, just this very like emotional it looked it kind of reminded me of like princess mononoke like it kind of has this sort of mythical emotional um nature communion sort of adventure um almost like uh it was like giving me samurai jack meets miyazaki vibes um i don't know i have no idea like the trailer was there was no it was purely a cinematic scene um of some unnamed protagonist uh, and their connection with these wolves that have antlers. Um, but it made me cry within <laughs> like a minute of, of trailer time. If that trailer went hard. <laughs> yeah. That was like, we're going to get you. We're going to get the, t- I was like, Oh, they're going to just to allude to something bad happening to the yeah. wolf. And it's like, Oh no, we're, we're going to go there. all the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So. Oh my god. Um Revenant Hill. Yes. The new oh my game gosh. from the Night in the Woods mm-hmm. developers. Love that art style. Yes. Very excited for that. Did you I, so the trailer did not clarify much, but then um the like write-up that came out after saying that you're like you're on a journey, your play is a cat who's on a journey to become a witch's familiar. Aww. Yes. Yay! Thank you, please. Yes. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and I love, oh, I love that Night in the Woods art mm-hmm. style. But yeah, I was similarly excited about Neva. Wait, I meant to ask you, did I, did you play Grease? No, I didn't. I've I've watched gameplay, but I sort of just never I don't know. I was never in the right time at the right place to play it. But did you? I did play Greece. Um, I the game. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what the gameplay for Neva looks like, because I think Greece was absolutely gorgeous game, like beautiful art. Love the music. Love the whole like it has. It's very um like metaphorical, like atmospheric mm. narrative storytelling. It's not a lot of direct storytelling, but it's very much like a meditation on grief okay. and moving through grief like the game is. And you get that from the elements that they present, but it's never like very like in your face direct that this is what the game's about. The gameplay itself, though, was just fine. Mm. Like I was I wasn't like, oh, my God, I love this gameplay so mm. much. I stuck through the game because I love the world and the art and the music and the story. But the gameplay was a little mid mm. for me. So I'll be interested to see what the gameplay looks like with Neva. Interesting. OK. Um, but I agree that the art and stuff for that, because they didn't show us any gameplay in the trailer. It was totally just cinematics. Yeah. yeah. But Revenant yeah. Hill, I'm 
just to just yeah, to that looks put cute. the kibosh or, or the pin on that, like I'm also just very <laughs> excited. Um, just love the the very unique tone uh, that it sets, and I'm also just sort of interested in the lore happening here because, like, in Night in the Woods, you play like an anthropomorphic cat in a world of other animal mm-hmm. people. In this game, you seem to be yeah. a literal cat, and there are humans, which I was like, huh? Yeah. So, <laughs> And it's set in the past, so is something about you working to become the uh, witch's familiar, is that what leads to the creation of the town that, of ooh, anthropomorphic animals? Okay, that would be so cool if there's some That'd kind of connection here, so... Yeah, just like as like an Easter egg at the end or yeah. something. I don't want it to be like the whole crux of like the whole story is like, oh, whoa, it was a prequel. The whole <laughs> yeah. Like, but yeah, just a little a little thing would be fun. Yeah. Um, I was excited to see sort of the sea yes. from Giant Squid. Mm-hmm. I it wasn't the biggest fan of Abzu, but I loved the Pathless. Mm-hmm. Um, and this seems like it's more in the vein of the Pathless than Abzu. Kind of like Journey with a skateboard. Yes. <laughs> Very that. It's very Uh, that. Very that. Which some of the developers from Giant Squid are folks who worked on Journey. So like that's that through line that kind of comes through in their games. Um, You're currently playing Tears of the Kingdom. What did you think of Towers of Mm -hmm. Agasaba? (laughs) I thought it looked like (laughs) it looked like a Zelda like I was like, oh, Breath of the Wild. Uh, So Sony's going to have their own Breath of the Wild and their own Splatoon (laughs) with with Foam Wars. Now, it looked interesting. Um, It's one that I'd want to see more of before I was like really fully on board. But um, what they showed looked good. I'm trash. I wrote it down on my list. Um, I'm trash. So I was definitely kind of excited about Assassin's Creed Mirage. Um, oh, that doesn't make you trash. <laughs> I thought that looked good. I was like, yeah, I mean, a smaller, like, much more tailored, feeling like it's going back to its roots, Assassin's Creed. I'm here yeah, for that. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it's I am kind of, yeah. just to, I, I, I don't, I haven't, okay, I, I know in the first trilogy you play the same character in all the first three games, but um, in this latest sort of era of the Assassin's Creed storyline, I was sort of interested in it because I I really loved um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla despite its you know pitfalls here and there and I know there's lots of mixed feelings about it as an Assassin's Creed game because it's so far removed from sort of like the spirit of the originals but like the fact that there's um, a character from that game who's now starring in this game I'm hoping for I don't know we'll see how much I get but just some more like world building and sort of like his story and how he came to be and all of that. Like, I'm just excited for the continuity there. Um, I was also pretty hype about, I think it's the Pucky Squire. Um, Oh yeah. That's not the first time I've seen that one. Uh, But yeah, that it's, I'm very excited. It's coming up. I think this was the announcement. It's coming to PlayStation. Yeah. It looks very good. And it's like where you're, yeah, you're jumping in and out of a page of a book. All these different styles of animation reminds me a little bit of it takes two mm. in the way that the world is so diverse and the, the levels look like they're going to be incredibly detailed and incredibly diverse which is one thing that was just so impressive about it takes two mm. the amount of variety in the different levels that you worked your way through was truly astounding mm-hmm. and plucky squire seems to be like not mechanically similar to it takes two but just giving me that vibe with the art style sure. of having so much variety in the the types of interactions you'll be having with the world. Did you ever play Cat Quest? 
I've no, never heard no. of Cat Quest One, but there's this new game, Cat Quest Pirates of the Caribbean. And I mean, it looks adorable. I was just like, I was, people were like, fans of Cat Quest will be so happy to hear. And I'm like, I what is Cat Quest? So <laughs> I don't know too much about this game, but it looked cute. And I'm always down for like an indie sort of adventure um, like situation. So it got me. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I should have known that one would get you. It did not get me, but uh, I'll live, you know, can't wait to hear all your yeah, thoughts about yeah. it. Um, I, uh, in in terms of like non-indie uh, mm-hmm. games, I definitely popped for Alan Wake oh, too. Yeah. But it looked so much scarier than the first so one. Scary. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. Like the first one creeped me out, but I got through it. It was like palms sweating, but I made it through. I don't know. That second one, those monsters look very scary. It's a lot. <laughs> And it looks very immersive. And I love control, and I, <laughs> yeah, it looked very immersive too. <laughs> yeah, immersive, some might say, some might say. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I loved Control, mm-hmm. uh, which is another a more recent game by Remedy. And Control within the world of Control, they confirmed that Alan Wake is set within the same like world oh. as Control. So I, it's not that I think this game's going to directly tie to Control, but there could be like little Easter eggs, or I don't know. And I, I really enjoyed the first Alan Wake game; just really inventive, like creative storytelling mm-hmm. uh, yeah i don't know the yeah because the first game is very much about like a what he's like a thriller writer mm-hmm. who gets like trapped in a thriller story right. and it's all very meta and yeah. weird um but then he's like this game it looks like he's been missing for a long mm. time and you play as an fbi agent who ends up finding him nice and the monster things are back. And in that game, the whole thing was that you couldn't actually fight the monsters with a weapon or anything, but like they were afraid of light. So you had a flashlight and right. you had to constantly be finding batteries for the flashlight <laughs> and shine yeah. the flashlight on the monsters to disperse yeah. them. But if your flashlight went out, you were fucked <laughs> and it's all in the dark and it's so oh scary. God. It's going to be like. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if I'll be brave enough, yeah. but I'm really. The controller is going to be slipping and sliding out of my hands for sure. <laughs> yeah i have to wear gloves or something yeah. um i would say one other for me I, I really love tales of arise and that kind of like big sweeping fantasy sci-fi sort of story so tower of fantasy uh which looks like it's coming out from hoda studio um it's like this very is this a, like a genshin impact like similar to genshin impact where it's oh like yeah. mmo thing yeah. Oh, Is I don't know. I thought it was. It looked like like an open world sci fi situation, but I actually don't know. Shared world, shared open world MMORPG. Oh, okay, okay. For PC and mobile. So yeah, I think this has already been out on PC and uh, mobile, and now it's coming to PlayStation. Okay, cool. Well, I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, free free to play. Word. So then, hey, I can. <laughs> it, it, the look of it is very, very yeah. cool, though. I'll yeah, it was giving me that kind of that sort of like 3D anime type of vibe. So, mm-hmm. yeah, when it first came on the screen, I was wondering if it was a new Tales game. Yeah, but yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, yeah. So there's definitely stuff to like out of the mm-hmm. showcase, but I was, I was, I was especially bummed that we didn't see um. Uh, factions yeah. is what I want to call it. Lord, Last of mm-hmm. Us multiplayer yeah. game. 
I was really hoping to see that. Oh, and then the Spider-Man show oh, was excellent. Yeah, of course. <laughs> they closed the sh- they closed <laughs> they closed the showcase with uh, some extended gameplay footage from Spider-Man, and that looks super cool. I love that we're getting um, both Spider-Man and Miles Morales in the game, both as playable characters. Mm-hmm. It looks like there'll be narrative points where you'll switch between the two of them. Uh, Spider-Man, Peter Parker's got the the black suit. We're introducing the the mm-hmm. Venom symbiote in in this game, and so he's got that on him, and he's being angry, and Miles is worried about him. Classic. <laughs> so, <laughs> looks looks like some classic Spider-Man storytelling and some absolutely stunning visuals and beautiful gameplay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm excited for that one. No, I might actually play this Spider-Man game. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Uh, the I, yeah, I like the first Spider-Man game, and the I especially like the Miles Morales uh, game that came out after mm-hmm. it. So they're good; they're a good time. Yeah. So there you go. There you have it. <laughs> there you have it. That's our review of the PS Showcase. In case you were wondering what we thought about it, um, but Spencer, let's turn our hearts and our minds now to the game that we played in advance of the podcast today that we came here to talk about, and that would be <sighs> Horizon Forbidden West. Burning Shores DLC. Uh, yeah, so fans of the show who've been listening for a while, you probably already know, but Horizon Forbidden West is a third-person open-world action role-playing game developed by Guerrilla Games and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment that released last February for PS4 and PS5 as a sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn, which originally came out in 2017. The series is set in a post-apocalyptic United States of America, recovering from an extinction event that occurred centuries prior caused by a rogue robot swarm uh you play in the game as aloy who is a hunter in a world populated by dangerous animalistic machines mm-hmm. um and so burning shores which just came out uh last month in april is a dlc narrative expansion to horizon forbidden west and it includes new characters and experiences all set in a stunning yet hazardous new area mm-hmm. um the story of Burning Shores takes place after the conclusion of the Horizon Forbidden West uh, main narrative. So I think just as a fair warning, we are going to be very sensitive to spoilers and try not to intentionally ruin anything from the Horizon Forbidden West main game. But because we are going to be talking about a narrative expansion that takes place after the events of the first game, there will probably be some things that we allude to that occur in the first game. So if you want to have no spoilers at all for for Horizon Forbidden West. This is probably not the podcast for you. Um, We will initially talk spoiler-free about Burning Shores, and if we decide to go into spoilers for Burning Shores, we will announce that. Um, But from this point forward, expect some spoilers for Horizon Forbidden West, and we will let you know if we're going to talk about spoilers for Burning Shores. So there's your warning. You've had it. You've had your chance. (laughs) Spencer... What did you think about Burning Shores? Honestly, it felt like its own game. Like I, I know it was a DLC, and the and the campaign is, uh, I would say, like around eight to ten hours, um, roughly. But hey, like that's like an indie game. Honestly, like yeah. it just was so beautiful. Like you mentioned to me, like I think over DM, like. Um, or text or whatever, whatever however people communicate now um like you were like wow, was did it always look this good or did they add something in this DLC and I felt the same way like it just felt yeah. like the 
the lushness and the vibrancy were like turned up to 11. Um, the I think part I think they really did step it up a notch. And the DLC, this is interesting. The DLC is only available on PS5. Uh, so they went hard in the yep. animation paint. I think so. <laughs> I think so. I think they stepped it. I think they stepped it up for yeah. that because the DLC adds an actual new area. When you go into that new area, that's completely PS5 tech. I think they were using for that. They didn't um, have to hold anything back so that it would be playable on the PS4. And I, I do think that that came through i yeah. noticed the the visual fidelity increases when i was playing it It was it was kind of like just astounding and that's a game yeah. that is has always been really pretty mm-hmm. like one of the few games that can still kind of take my breath away when i'm playing yes like, yeah but like i mean draw distance the draw yeah. distance in that game it's beautiful I mean, you get up you get up on the flying mount and get up into the air mm-hmm. and you can see for miles like mm-hmm. in realistic detail yeah <laughs> like in, in actual detail which I, you know again yeah i am playing breath of the wild right now and it is so different to it's just a game that's like got the cartoonish style i mean granted comparing the nintendo switch to the ps5 that's a big gap in terms <laughs> of hardware fidelity yeah but it's i don't know it's just two games that i've had a similar experience of being high above the world in mm-hmm. and what you can see in that space and horizon is oh man it's it's powerful it's such a net like it really just feels so next gen like everything from mm-hmm. like you're saying like the the setting and the the distance and the world and just the the human models like each person is an individual fucking person down to their like hair and yeah. shape of their bodies and minute details in their faces mm-hmm. and like it's just like you feel like there are living people in this game um i just feel like horizon doesn't get enough credit for being like so breathtaking and immersive and, and while being an open world rpg yeah. like this this is the thing i mean we're gonna see when starfield comes out this november but i just can't believe that starfield is gonna look as good yeah as horizon mm-hmm. and it is i think it is interesting that like there's a lot there there's a level of customization that you get in a bethesda open world game that maybe you don't get in this you can customize your armor and stuff like that but it's it's maybe not quite to the same degree mm-hmm. you're not making choices as much with aloy as you are with a character in a bethesda game mm. but by and large like yeah the the complete dramatic completely dramatic difference in the detail that girl is able to achieve mm-hmm. yeah the, the character models really got me there were a few different folks that i met that i was just like <laughs> like wanted to get up close to the screen yeah like, is that a real like i don't know it's not like i would mistake it for a real person it still looks animated yeah. but the level you know so it doesn't cross into that like uncanny valley area it's not like freaky or weird while still looking incredibly detailed and personal and and human Mm -hmm. like they just get the nuances of facial expressions um really well absolutely really fucking well like each cutscene, like i feel like i'm especially (laughs) there's like new characters in this one and and you're seeing uh you know friendships form and and stuff and just like watching for very tiny like body language cues that that you would typically see like when watching a movie or a tv show like you can sort of understand nuance between characters because of body language and things that aren't spoken and i feel like that's really fucking hard to do in a video game and they did that Mm -hmm. in this like i was like on the edge Mm -hmm. of my seat like 
like hyper analyzing micro expressions crossing people's faces because they were able to fucking do that without making it weird or or yeah. uncanny like you were saying. <laughs> yeah, it's so. it's really really impressive. It's a huge achievement. Um and I think uh one of the first places that I noticed this in starting the DLC, you know, the the DLC mission like Burning Shore's story kicks off by mm. having you go talk to Silence, who is a character who's been in the previous two games played by Lance Reddick who tragically passed away this past March mm-hmm. um very unexpectedly. Um really sad yeah you know obviously we don't personally know lance reddick but it's still a real big bummer he's in a ton of media that i enjoy Mm -hmm. uh even going all the way back to fringe (laughs) Uh, and so seeing him pop up in the game in with a character model that looks like him like and it's his voice uh for the mission to start with that by going to visit him and standing there with him and him talking like really hit me hard i don't know did did you experience that yeah and i just got chills because he like you could tell that he brought everything to the role. Like he didn't feel like yeah. he was like, oh, this is just, you know, just a video game where I have a few lines. Like he fucking delivered that. He was like giving. Like he mm-hmm. like it just it just felt like God, this person's talent is just so undeniable. And the presence that he brings to each scene um was just incredible to watch um it it felt like an honor to be able to witness um you know that performance from him and 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 to see his face and so lovingly rendered and that character that he he didn't hold back anything from as if it was a a role that would be a blockbuster it it just i don't know i just feel so much respect for him and and yeah it's not going to be the same without him um in in entertainment uh and in this in this series like um yeah it's it's a huge loss for sure yeah um so the setup of the the quest that they put you on in in burning shores is that uh again like we said we're gonna have to spoil it spoil a bit of horizon forbidden west in forbidden west um these folks folks from space basically (laughs) billionaire humans who left earth at the time of the extinction event um they've managed to uh extend their lives unnaturally through all of the technology and stuff that they've they've gained and they were living in space and they call them they're called the far zeniths um i believe that's the name of their ship Mm. is that why they're the far zeniths i can't remember now (laughs) Sure. <laughs> but they're basically like <laughs> centuries old billionaires yeah. um, who have like lost most of their sense of humanity mm-hmm. and are just kind of greedy, monstrous fucks. Um, but anyway, the one of the main plots in Forbidden West is that they've come back to Earth um, and that they're causing wreaking havoc across, you know, for the people that are living on Earth. Uh, so the premise of Burning Shores is that one of the Far Zeniths uh, broke away from the main group that had come back to Earth and was doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to track him down. And he's ended up in what is what we now know as Los Angeles area, mm-hmm. which within the context of the game is sort of this broken off island uh, at the base of what's now California. So most of the game takes place in the the u.s west yeah. and so this is kind of like the southwest um this new area that they've added so you go there to track him down his name is oh boy landra walter landra and he is played uh in with some great like scene chewing mm-hmm. energy by sam whitwer um who's been in a lot of different stuff but i'm going to shout him out for being in um 
uh, Days Gone, playing the main character in Days Gone, our motorcycle riding main character. Um, but I thought he did a great job with Walter Londra. And Walter is like, I don't, how would you describe Walter Londra? He's a completely <sighs> egotistic, like self-centered, but like almost views himself as a deity, like yeah. something above normal humans. Given, that yeah. whole museum <laughs> that you visit where he's got all of these things set up about himself yeah. that you can interact with. And apparently this museum existed like this isn't new. This existed back when like regular human like the previous version of humanity yeah. was like coming yeah. up i don't know yeah, yeah. Well, how would you yeah, describe like him celeb ceo uh very like self-important um like in the los angeles setting like he does he kind of gives like producer like kind of like mm. ulterior motive creepy producer who has weird ideas oh, about yeah. women kind of vibe but is all about mm-hmm. the sort of like old Hollywood kind of, like he just kind of gives this like big wig energy um, and mm-hmm. uh, sort of a silver tongued kind of like cult leader kind of guy, like just uh, someone who would sort of ex- you'd expect to talk you into doing things for a movie role kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Very skeezy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not a good person vibes. Um, but like someone who thinks they're who like doesn't see anything wrong with the way they treat other yeah. people because they genuinely like view other people as beneath them yeah. and like they deserve everything that's coming to yeah. them. Like those those kind of vibes. Uh anyway, uh he nails that role. <laughs> and so you go you go towards the burning shores to figure out what he's up to. The Burning Shores area is called the Burning Shores because of there's like active like volcanoes and like magma oozing. And I think that contributes to that uh just some of that like really yeah. vibrant design of the world when you're in areas where there's lava flowing over the ground which of course i was like do you think the lava will burn me it'll probably burn me and i just stepped in it like yeah. immediately my health bar's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> zooms yeah. down i was like ah, get out, get out. <laughs> um but yeah so so the world is like it's very lush and green and then you've got these like sandy beaches bl- beautiful blue water and then the the lava flowing through which i think contributes to that that overall mm-hmm. look so anyway on on your way to find Landra, you run into uh, a Quen Marine named Seika. The Quen are a society that came from across the Pacific Ocean that Aloy meets in the main Forbidden West campaign. And when she meets some characters who are part of the Quen civilization, they let her know that they were they tra- were traveling on a big fleet of ships mm-hmm. and the fleet got split into two. And so when you meet Seika, you find out that her group is the other half of the fleet um, from the group that you'd met earlier in the game. The two halves of the fleet don't know that either half survived, so you mm-hmm. actually have an opportunity to connect them with each other. But in talking to Seika, you find out that she is searching for her sister and a group of Quen who went missing after they crash landed on the beaches of the Burning Shores. And eventually you find that her sister and, and these other Quen have been taken in by by Laundra and that he's he's using them. We won't go into details about how or why yet, but like that's a setup for how you end up teaming up with Seika and uh, start helping her try to take down Laundra. Totally. Um, 
And overall, you know, I thought the the narrative adventure that they send you on, I think, you know, you said it it's like an eight to 10 hour story that you play through. I thought that was all really solid. It felt I kind of liked the more contained nature of it. Yeah. Actually, um, you know, with the first Horizon game, the DLC that they expansion that they released for that, the Frozen Wilds, was some of my favorite content in the mm. game. And I think I think that focus actually kind of helps the Horizon mm. games for me. I get a little overwhelmed with the open worldness yeah. of these games. They give you so much to do and so many points on the map to go explore yeah. that having something that's a little more focused and a smaller area too, like the Burning Shores is just an this island. Mm-hmm. Which it's big. It's not like it's not. It's still a good sized space to explore, but it just feels a lot more manageable. Yeah. Um. So it it gives you that to run around in. It gives you a few new uh, robot enemies to encounter. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, it felt really good. I really enjoyed the overall experience of it. Thought the narrative was strong. Thought the taking down Londra was interesting and fun. And he was a, he was a good villain. And and really like the story that they set up with with Seika. Yeah. I agree. Like I, I'm in. I was interested in the Quen period from their introduction in Forbidden West. Um, I'm I'm always sort of intrigued by sort of like religious cult kind of stories, and the Quen are interesting in the sense that um, their society is sort of built around this religious hierarchy having to do with um, like as Jamie mentioned, like this world. There was an apocalyptic event hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, but at that time, the Earth uh, humans were very like technologically advanced. And so hundreds of years later, it's like people have come across the remnants of this technology that was left behind by the previous humans. And they've sort of ascribed sort of like this magical quality to them as if like, which makes sense if you were someone who had never seen a computer before. And suddenly there was this like hologram appearing in front of you like of course you'd think it was a vision or magic of some kind and so i just thought it was very cool seeing the dynamics of this culture which is like kind of oppressive in the sense that they have very strict roles and this very almost like kind of puritanical um demand for faithfulness and allegiance to uh what are like corporate remnants of technology made by business people like this that whole juxtaposition is like so fascinating to me um and i and i like that this story sort of gave a little bit of expansion on sort of who the quen are and and how they interact um and with the character of seika um kind of how like you know she um doesn't necessarily fit into that kind of hierarchy and and how is she sort of coping with that and 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 pushing back within there. Um, it just was like a really cool character um, and someone who is just as capable and strong and a badass as Aloy. It was kind of cool to see that, that counterpart because um, Aloy mm-hmm. has sort of constantly been surrounded by people who are just begging her to save them um, or looking at her as, <laughs> as a, some sort of deity herself uh, being the clone of um, one of the original uh, like, founders of the technology that eventually overran the world so um yeah i yeah i'm sorry where should we go from here there's so much <laughs> yeah i well i wanted to just agree with you that that i think the quen are a really interesting um civilization that's introduced in in horizon forbidden west yeah. uh not that i don't love the the different tribes and stuff that we meet throughout 
the rest of the games. But the Quen have a they just have a really interesting angle that they take with their relationship to technology. Mm-hmm. And they're specifically framed as an empire compared to most of what we most of the other uh, groups, the societies that we meet throughout the games are defined as tribes mm-hmm. and they're an empire. And so they do have this really strict hierarchy, these really strict role assignments. They have uh, like what are basically police mm-hmm. within within their ranks that are folks who are and even like kind of doing like spying with uh, within their own citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a side quest within Burning Shores where you can actually kind of help a little like sort of rebellion movement mm-hmm. to get one of the main cop guys taken down that I thought was nice. interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Horizon said a cab. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I don't know their relationship with technology and their relationship with it's the focuses specifically, mm-hmm. um, and the way they assign those to people and think that people who can use a focus have some sort of like divine divine yeah. ability they're called diviners is, yeah <laughs> yeah they are called that's true uh is it's interesting it sets up for interesting dynamics across the characters and and of course Aloy comes in with her traditional like i have no respect for yeah. any of these hierarchical roles whether it's in a tribe or an empire because i was an outcast and i just don't care mm-hmm. um when that energy meets uh something like the quen structure it just creates for they're a good like foil totally for for Aloy and, and her efforts um and then for Seika, when Aloy meets her to already have a focus, I think is really important. And yeah, like you said, Seika's already like a super capable person by the point that Aloy meets her. Aloy's not coming in to just be a hero and save Seika. And in fact, Seika even rejects her help yeah. at several points. Um, not because she doesn't think that Aloy's capable, which is something Aloy's used to. Aloy's used to being dismissed or told to get out of the way because she's immediately not viewed as being someone who's capable or can help. Mm-hmm. Um, often by men characters, often by like people in uh, positions of authority or power. Mm-hmm. Um, but Seika is someone who is an equal and is just saying like, "You're doing your own thing. I'm doing my own thing. Like we don't need to actually." Like, I'm fine. You don't need to help me. But when they find out that their goals are aligned, um, then they end up working together. Hell yeah. And yeah, so I do think they did a good job of positioning. uh, And and you can tell Aloy is surprised at that, too, of meeting someone who actually feels like more of an equal Mm -hmm. as opposed to someone she's really got to, like, educate and handhold and bring along. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was it was really good. It felt like a a true friendship kind of right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also feel like that presence gave us sort of the it it gave us a more emotionally in touch side of Aloy that I don't think we've had the chance to see before. I yeah, I really wonder how much. It's something we talked about quite a bit, I feel like, in our in our conversations about Horizon, but the characterization of Aloy continues to be a bit of like a sticking point or a conversation point for, I think, anybody talking about these games. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people who really love Aloy, there's people who really hate Aloy. I think we kind of sit more towards loving her, but yeah. like finding that there are kind of flaws with the way she's been presented. Um and I, I remember leaving our conversations about Horizon Forbidden West with me at least like really being adamant that what I want to see in future games is more of Aloy's interior mm-hmm. because I just don't think we're getting that mm-hmm. as the player. And as the player, we should have, because we are meant to be Aloy and identify with Aloy, we need to have some idea as to what the fuck she's thinking. <laughs> and she's always just been kind of presented as someone who like 
just very like stoically and straightforwardly takes on the problems in front of her and doesn't seem to have much of an emotional reaction to any yeah. of it when in re like reality in quotes obviously but within the in the game she's meant to be like a what 18 19 yeah. year old young woman who was raised mostly in isolation mm-hmm. um who doesn't have you know so there's a lot of things in there that explain why she behaves the way she does, but they don't ever give us any of her interior to kind of fill that in. It's like, I have to make a lot of assumptions about why she's acting the way she is without a lot, without much to ground it in because I don't actually have access to what she's thinking. Yeah. And again, I don't know if it was in reaction to that sort of feedback or if this was always the plan for burning shores, but in burning shores, she talks to herself a lot more Mm -hmm. like she's there's a lot of points where she'll break away from a conversation with another character and then she'll have a moment where she's just like kind of replaying the conversation in her head like processing it and we're getting a sense of how she's emotionally reacting to it and i thought like props like that was great i was very grateful to finally get some of that from her to finally feel like i and a lot of it backed up the stuff that i had been assuming all along, but getting that filled in and actually feeling like Aloy was finally confirming the things that I had been assuming or like writing with my own headcanon mm-hmm. was nice. And I was grateful for that. And I would love to see that continue yeah. in future Horizon games. I thought that was a really good move on their part. And whether or not that was reactive or that was something they had always planned to do, either way, very cool. Yeah. Like I think there was always a lot to relate to Aloy with in terms of her upbringing and her uh, life as an outcast and kind of the unfair positions that she had been put in by society and her sort of selflessness in sort of trying to save the world. Like there was a lot there to empathize with, but or, or relate to, but she made it hard to empathize with because her personality was just so like, okay, on to the next mission objective. I'm going here. Mm -hmm. I'm doing that. Like, I don't need help. Like, (laughs) I don't know. It was just sort of like, okay, this person is like a machine in a world of machines. Like, (laughs) who are you (laughs) underneath the the armor? Um, And it almost felt like, like it, it almost got to the point of sort of like breaking immersion for me because she was so much like a traditional video game hero. And so, Yeah. yeah, like similarly, just sort of, getting more of her inner monologue um, and just seeing her vocalize her struggles with how to form social connections with people and actually experience Mm -hmm. the building of a friendship that she is sort of like consenting to or actively wants to, wants to foster was really, really cool. Yeah, that was a huge thing too, right? For all the characters that we've seen Aloy meet and interact with across the games, it's never felt like she wanted anything more with them than a transactional, I'm going to help Mm -hmm. you to get what I need for the next step in my hero's quest, or I'm just going to help you because I'm a hero and that's what I do. And then that's it. Like it never felt like she actually wanted to know any of the people. And and that is something that I do think they were trying to do with Forbidden West, where you're steadily building the team of people back at your base. Mm-hmm. I do think a through line of that game was here is Aloy starting to make connections, starting to find out that there are people she can and should rely on. And by the end of that game, you've built your team 
right? That theoretically you're going into the third game with, it's going to help you stop the next apocalypse, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> All, each of these games kind of have their own apocalypse. So that's not really a spoiler, but yeah. like, yeah, you'll be going in to stop the next apocalypse. <laughs> um, and she's, she's learned that she can rely on those folks. And that is a huge piece of the narrative in, in Forbidden West. Um, but we never got to hear her reflect on that. And it was still hard to tell, like, how much she actually wanted to be around yeah. the people that she was inviting into her base. And I think very quickly in the relationship with Seika, because we're getting these moments of her, uh, like, sharing her internal thought process, like, you very quickly understand, like, oh, she does want to be around Seika, like wants to be friends with Seika, wants to build a relationship when they, uh, there's, they're kind of both, they find as the story progresses, they both are lying to each other about some different elements of what they have going on. For Aloy, a lot of the stuff she's holding back is everything going on with the Farzinas mm-hmm. and like all of the details of where these people come from, where she comes from, yeah. like where all of current humanity comes from, all of this knowledge that she's accrued over the past few games about the history of the world. She's not sharing any of that with Seika because it would blow Seika's fucking mind, yeah. right? Like... Um, but the conflict that occurs because they're not both being totally honest with each other and, and the way Aloy feels bad when that kind of blows up mm-hmm. and the fact that we actually get to hear that, like, we've really never had that yeah. from Aloy in a game. It's always just like, she's kind of like, whatevs. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what's happening. Of like, get over, get up to <laughs> <Yeah>. speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she can be kind of callous yeah. with people. Um, or just kind of act like, you know, if they can't just accept it and roll forward, yeah. then they're somehow less than yeah. because that's what she's been able to do. And so for her to both want a human relationship and uh, seemingly start to understand human emotions. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's good. It's good. Good stuff. Uh, it's really great and appreciated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and felt like, um, even though they haven't been articulating this all along, it didn't feel like a total departure from her character. Mm-hmm. It, does, it feels it feels more like growth. Um, yeah. And to st- finally, we're starting to see some of that growth in action in Burning Shores. Yeah, like, I don't think it would have made sense for her to get to this place where she could provide this kind of emotional availability to someone unless she had gone through what she went through in the first two games, especially the second where she did have to learn, uh, you know, the, about the power of friendship and chosen family. And so, like, it did feel <laughs> like a natural sort of culmination of the emotional crash course that she had been getting, <laughs> especially in the second game. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's, there's two other things, or just a couple other things that I want to touch yeah. on before we go into spoilers. Uh one thing that I absolutely loved about the DLC is how the entire area felt completely designed around traversal and specifically traversal with the mount that you get near the end mm. of Forbidden West, which is that near the end of Forbidden West, you acquire uh, – Ayla can ride – can override – uh, various of the robot animal creatures mm-hmm. and ride them. That's a thing even in the first game. But in the second game, they add a few additional uh, monsters that you can ride. And one of them that they add near the end of the game is uh, basically pterodactyl. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's called a sunwing, but it's basically a pterodactyl that has solar power. Yeah, <laughs> solar panels, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> solar panels for wings. It's cool as shit. <laughs> but introducing a flying mount to the game completely 
changes oh, yeah. the way you traverse that world. It completely changes the the how open the world feels and how accessible the world feels. Um, especially with the main map, which is just huge. Yeah. You get that Sunwing, and suddenly it's like, oh, I can <laughs> just you know, I can just fly all the way over to that other place that I wanted to go. It just awesome. it really changes yeah. the dynamic of the world. But Burning Shores, the island specifically, felt completely designed to be traversed on a flying mount. Mm -hmm. And that level of specificity that they were able to add, even adding things like, you know, they have the ruins puzzles throughout the world, which are areas that are kind of old, dilapidated buildings that are completely overgrown. And it's kind of a traversal puzzle where you have to figure out how to navigate through it to get some sort of a treasure that's that's buried somewhere in the interior, like an inaccessible area of the building. Mm -hmm. And I encountered one of these ruin puzzles on burning, the Burning Shores Island, and the only way to get to it get into the building was through a hatch on the roof of the building mm. that you had to use your sunwing to pull the hatch off. Nice. So they've added these grapple points that the sunwing, you can command it to like go down and like grab it with its talons and rip it off. And then you can jump down into the thing. I, I thought all of those little elements were super cool. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited to see like the next game with a whole map designed around being able to fly to places it just yeah. felt like it really opened things up and completely changed completely changed what i was even doing like i was not traveling on the ground at all yeah <laughs> and i do wonder then how that impacts the design of future games if you can't guarantee that your your players are going to even touch the ground yeah in certain areas um i'm sure that creates a design challenge for the developers um but figuring out how they can make things look interesting enough that i want to land my sunwing yeah uh, i think will be be fun but i thought that was really cool in burning shores and i just love the sunwing mount so much yeah same i think one of my main complaints at the end of the second game was just the fact that you get the sunwing as like the last thing mm -hmm. to unlock and then yep. it's like well game's over so that was cool now you can sort of travel the map you've already traversed with the sunwing and get places faster but it it just kind of felt like oh man like this would have been so cool to utilize more in the story and so to have mm -hmm. this all of this um access and and new activities uh that you can do with the sunwing and as well as like other mounts um later in the DLC just felt like kind of payoff for, for that reveal late game. Um, mm -hmm. I do wonder like to your point, like I, like in the first game you could override machines, but in the second game, for whatever reason, you sort of have to start from scratch in terms of learning how to unlock and then override. So I, yeah. I wonder if they're going to sort of like roll that back. I really hope they don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope not. Yeah. Like, yeah, give us a sunwing from the beginning. Come on, yeah. don't be cowards. <laughs> but it does, yeah. yeah, I mean, I can't think of a of another game where you're able to just sort of do that and it just feels very free and it makes the open world exploration just so much more enjoyable. Um, and, and mm -hmm. horizon kind of limits you in terms of fast travel, um, which I think makes the, the flying mount even more enticing. Cause like typically you have to, you can only travel between campfires, which are like checkpoints that you can unlock throughout the map. Um, and if you want to mm -hmm. fast travel outside of that, you have to use, uh, limited, uh, materials to create like fast travel pack item, um, so mm -hmm. it sort of like has a cost associated. Um, so I do like how the the air traversal just sort of 
like you want to do it uh and it yeah and it's fun to just like fly over and like look down and just sort of like meditate or i don't know it's just like a fun way to pass the time in the game so yeah i'm all yeah. about it <laughs> What do you think of the underwater segments? I think those continue to be really divisive among Horizon players. I'm curious what, yeah. what your feelings is on that. Um, feelings are on that. I don't. I guess I'm kind of claustrophobic. I really don't like underwater <laughs> yeah. sections in games. Like I think that the introduction of you have this diving mask in Horizon, so some of the danger is sort of um, alleviated in, t- in terms of the kind of that that feeling of oh my god i'm running out of air like it, it mm-hmm. i sort of get so stressed by that uh that i that i'm not able to enjoy as much the like what's going on uh in the scene um that being said like i felt like again because of the the just overwhelming beauty of the game um i i didn't mind it as much i i think it's a little silly there's this they, they call it stealth kelp and it's like ways that you can (laughs) continue to be stealthy underwater by hiding in patches of kelp and i I guess i kind of feel like the stealth stuff feels a little silly underwater in horizon Mm -hmm. because it just Mm -hmm. seems so it it, i feel like my ability my suspension of disbelief is a little bit harder underwater where you're moving so slowly you have these like lights on you to be able to see in the uh, underwater. And then all of a sudden there just happens to be kelp in like really, um, strategically, uh, important (laughs) places. Um, but I think, you know, I get through the underwater sections as quickly as I can because I hate being underwater and how it limits my movement. Um, that being Mm -hmm. said, I really liked, um, there's a scene where I don't, without spoiling too much, maybe we'll get, we'll talk about it more in a few, but like there's a scene yeah. where you're sort of having to uh, navigate between being above the water and underwater to get closer to a target that's like shooting at you. And I thought that was like really mm-hmm. fun and dynamic and I enjoyed that mm-hmm. very much. Yeah. Yeah. I think I mostly agree with you. I, I don't find myself stressed out by the horizon underwater scenes uh, since they gave us the breathing apparatus. Mm-hmm. I agree. It can be kind of stressful when it's, um, and yeah, what triggers the claustrophobia effect for me is when your character is like running out of air mm-hmm. and you're trying to get to places. I also, it, there's definitely a difference between a lot of what we experienced in burning shores, which was swimming in open seawater versus when, uh, Ailey's diving in caves mm-hmm. like that, that can feel a bit more stressful. But again, when they give you the breathing apparatus, I think it, it helps take like alleviate a lot of that. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't feel as strongly as a lot of players mm. do. I think if they are structuring, like giving me a good narrative reason or a good loot reason to go down there, I don't mind doing it. I do. Yeah. I feel like if they made her swim a little bit faster, it yes. might help. But <laughs> I don't feel like we need to totally lose the underwater. I think yeah. if they, I agree with you. That scene where you're going above and below the water over and over is, is super cool and a really great use of it. And I think if they can keep coming up with, I think it's used interestingly. Uh, in the final battle yes. of the DLC as like well. That. So I think if they can keep finding cool ways to use it, um, I'm all on board with it. But I think I'm definitely not just like going out into the ocean looking for <laughs> loot or anything like that. Like Subnautica they haven't gotten style. There yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as long as they can keep being creative with how they're using it, I'm on board with it. Yeah. But um, 
I do agree. Yeah, make her swim. Make her swim a little faster. Yeah, make her swim a little faster. I <laughs> give her like a little water jetpack <laughs> yes, or something. Come on, come on. We have <laughs> come the technology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did feel like that last sequence in the last battle, the way that it was utilized. I did enjoy that. Um, I just find that sometimes in big underwater areas, I get disoriented faster for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like I just, it's just everything is harder and slower, and so yeah. But um. Again, like I think that the variance with which they treated underwater stuff, like it wasn't like, okay, here I go into the underwater dungeon. Like there was a lot of different ways that that gameplay came about in the DLC. And so there was enough variety that I never felt like the dread of like, oh, great, another one underwater section. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Should we get into spoilers now? Let's spoil it up. For the DLC. Let's get Let's stanky. Spoil it up. <laughs> this is your warning. We're gonna we're going full spoilers for Burning Shores DLC now. Yeah. Uh where do you want to start? What'd you think of the new mount? Yeah. We were just talking about going above and below. Yeah. That heavily requires they add a new flying mount, mm-hmm. a water wing, which can fly above <laughs> fly in the air like the sun wing and then it can also dive and swim in the water yeah i thought that was pretty fucking cool yeah there's a scene where you're like having to fly towards this tower that's like shooting everything that passes by out of the sky and it's so you're like flying over the water and then right as the shot is charging up you've got to dive really quick to get under and it was so fun like i felt like i was i don't know it almost felt like I was like pod racing and like Star Wars or something like it just (laughs) was super um, dynamic and had a bit of a different feel than what I expect from Horizon. Like it, it, that kind of timed speed sort of challenge. Like it was, it was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. I really thought that was cool. And God, yeah. What you're saying about like, oh, are they going to take strip away all our powers? I really fucking hope not. (laughs) <laughs> I need the I need my water wing right from the beginning. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, that was it was just really fun to be going up and down. I felt like the DLC, and maybe I'm just misremembering from Forbidden West, but I felt like there were so many more segments that felt very cinematic like that to me, where they yeah. were trying to really create big cinematic moments in a way that mm-hmm. I, the games always had like big fights with big monsters, but I don't know. There was a way that they were trying to Maybe it was just because it's supposed to be set in L.A., but but it really felt like they were trying to create things that are more akin to uh, an Uncharted set piece or something like that, mm. uh, as opposed to, yeah, just being like, okay, run from this point to this point. It felt more tailored, more mm-hmm. authored moments yeah. throughout the DLC. Is that Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I did feel like there were a lot more like wow like breathtaking moments Mm -hmm. um i felt like there was like uh there's a scene where um you and seika stumble into this um chamber uh because there are people the the quen who you find who are being sort of indoctrinated into Londra's um cult who he wants to take into the sky with him and escape the earth one of the challenges they have to overcome to be accepted is is go and see um how they're gonna leave earth or whatever and you go into this chamber housing a ship and you walk in and it's like like the the scale of the ship is enormous Mm -hmm. and there's it's ringed in clouds and fog um, and there's light like emanating from it. And it's 
it's like breathtaking. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like there's just lots of scenes where I felt like, like my smallness yeah. and just the sort of scale that you're dealing with and have to overcome. And it's like epic. Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel the like, oh my God, how am I gonna come up against this? Um, and then you do, and it just feels even more like satisfying. <laughs> um, but there were multiple scenes like that where just the, what I was seeing in front of me was was incredibly cinematic. And two, I felt like it integrated a lot more um, of that kind of seamless cutscene thing where you'd go have an event or enter an area and enter sort of a more cinematic conversation between characters. I, I did feel like that was happening a lot more than a, than from the full game. Yeah. The, the scale thing is interesting too, because I feel like, you know, you think back to the first horizon game and I'm trying to think like some of the biggest enemies you fight in there, like maybe like the end boss, which is a, what a corruptor mm-hmm. and uh, the, like thunder jaws right and then forbidden west ups the ante and there's now monsters bigger than a thunder jaw mm-hmm. that you're fighting there's i can't remember the what giant it's called snake but one. Oh yeah the slither fang and there's an even bigger like two-legged dinosaur yeah i can't remember what it's called that you encounter at a couple different points and you fight one of those in this too but they do seem to keep upping the ante with the scale factor mm-hmm. uh concluding with the final boss of the dlc which is by far the biggest enemy that we've fought yeah. so far but what are those things called uh horus i think a Horus. Yes, you fight the Horus at the end of the DLC, and that thing is the size of a mountain, basically, yes, right? It's like yeah. when you first encounter these are the original uh like robot destructors that caused the apocalypse. And this thing has been like battery dead, just sitting there decaying for centuries, but Londra wakes it up, gets mm-hmm. it to recharge, and then like walks this thing out of the mountain. The volcano and mountain are like crumbling around you. That whole final fucking set piece. It's crazy. It was so cool. And yeah. at the same time, it was like, mm, I was really struggling to tell where the damage was coming from and uh, when the hits were coming. Yeah. I feel like I would love to see the Horizon games continue in this direction with these type of like as a set piece fight, as a, like the way that was constructed, the different phases of the fight mm-hmm. and the way we were like following him from the hit, like all of that, that whole final quest was so cool, so well designed, but yeah. I need some sort of better visual indicator of where he yeah. is coming from and what is coming. Some sort of audio, like anything. I just yeah. felt like I was running back and forth on this yeah. beach getting hit. Like I literally just healed my way through that. It yeah. was Yeah, same. It was like berries, 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 eating berries nonstop, drink a potion, eating full four course meals. Yeah. (laughs) Just like keep Aloy healed. Yeah. Uh, Because I had, there, I could not tell where things were coming from and I could not for the life of me avoid taking damage. No. Sounds like you had a similar experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like one of those things where, I mean, this is, this is kind of par for the course in Horizon, but it's like there are these machines, you use your focus, which is like a, earpiece attached to your head to sort of highlight areas of weakness. And so this fucking giant robot arm is writhing around and you have a half a second opening every few moments to shoot an arrow at like a very small glowing yellow object. And it's like, you got to do that 20 times and you got to go inside the thing and do that 20 more times. And it's just like, Oh my God, I was like, I don't know. I was not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I yeah. 
I was, yeah, I was simultaneously <laughs> like so annoyed and like screaming at my television while at the same time being like, this is the most epic fucking cool yeah. thing that Horizon <laughs> has done. I just wish I wasn't so frustrated. Like, I love sure. this. I love the co- this conceptually so much. And yeah. it's almost there in terms of execution. But I just need a fucking indicator of what I can do to not get. And the thing was fucking hitting hard, too. It was yeah. like half your health every time you took a hit. So I just like I need to be able to understand where these things are coming from. Yeah. And honestly, there's that piece. And I do feel like if we're going to continue to up the scale of enemies like Mm -hmm. this, um, which I'm totally cool with, um, I do think there needs to be sort of some re-leveling in terms of Aloy's weapons. Like you have a spear and you have various types of bows and arrows, and you kind of have, like, they introduce this um, sort of primitive gun where you're shooting, it's like you're shooting arrows uh, in a more machine-like way instead of drawing each one individually. And in this DLC, you actually get the opportunity to pick up um, mm-hmm. a more futuristic, like, laser gun. Um, but I feel like I was... used against Taurus. Yeah, same. Like I, I feel like I was leaning on the the like OP like futuristic laser yep. gun, and I kind of was like, I don't know. I, I I just sort of felt like like I prefer to use my arrows because I had a super upgraded. Um, it's like a heavy bow that's designed for long distance shots, and I just I love that weapon, so I wanted mm-hmm. to use it. But I honestly felt like the only weapon I could use in this fight was the mm. the super powerful gun that I happened to pick up as part of this DLC. Yeah. So I just sort of feel like for weapon variants and making combat more personalized and exciting, if we're gonna up the scale this much of these enemies like i do feel like aloy needs something more than an arrow that's gonna bounce off like like i almost feel like it's too far into the mismatched territory um i just yeah well i wonder if uh in three we're going to see aloy getting her hands on more of the zenith tech yeah Um, that would be cool yeah that's the, kind of my expectation with them giving us this gun. Like, I feel like that was starting to test the waters of what's it look mm. like if if Aloy starts to get her hands on some of the the more advanced weaponry and what can she do with it. But I agree with you. Yeah, like <laughs> shooting a bow and arrow at a robot enemy the size of a mountain does not feel. Yeah, like, she's like. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, bye. Going home. Like, <laughs> yeah. Finally met my match. Um, and and with what we know is like coming in the third game. Um, you know, uh, spoilers for Forbidden West, which we're already in at this point, I guess. But mm. yeah, like, how are you gonna fight an AI entity basically with yeah. with these arrows? They're they're gonna have to, I think, give us more tools. Um, yeah. I did notice, and I. It felt like the weapons and armor that you can purchase in the DLC had easier upgrade paths in the main game. And I don't know if that was just specific for the DLC or if they're going to go that direction overall. But I know that was a big complaint for me with uh, the main game. It's just like you get an armor set and it's like, great. 
like seriously the best armor in the game to do to upgrade at one time you need 10 tremor tusk tusks mm-hmm. that's fucking five of those some of the hardest enemies in the game yeah. I was like are you shitting me for the first level upgrade <laughs> out of a path of like six upgrades yeah right and then right. i'm not even really sure what i'm getting with these it's like oh that's gonna up your defense two percent i'm like yeah what, what are we i don't I don't even know how much upgrades (laughs) matter in the game. I just feel like they need to clarify a lot of that and Mm -hmm. streamline it a bit and make it easier. And it did seem like they were at least for the DLC, like lowering the barrier to upgrades. But I'm still just don't know how much time and energy I want to put into thinking about those paths and how much it's worth investing in that kind of stuff. And I kind of wish they would make it a little more decipherable so that I would be more inclined to go do it because I do think it's fun to like, I need X thing. I'm going to go hunt X creature for a little while to get that thing. Like it's, that's a cool gameplay like mechanic and cycle, but Mm -hmm. uh, it just needs to be a little more discernible and not feel so overwhelming. Yeah, I agree. Like the gear is one of the places where I feel like I didn't touch much. Like I would sort of just try to collect whatever I could and then go to the armor person and just see what I could upgrade. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was just so like it. I feel like you could exhaust yourself and spend tons of time just sort of comparing armor uh, sets and trying to figure out what makes sense to even upgrade. Like I do feel like that part is felt a bit tedious for me. and I, I sort of, my assumption was that they were like, we know this is a DLC, so we're going to make these easier to upgrade because we mm. know we don't we don't have you for like a full length game yeah, right maybe. now. But I hope, I don't know, I hope you're right and that it, it spans future games because it's a lot. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the real meat and potatoes of the yeah, DLC. Let's do it. Aloy's got a girlfriend? Ah! <laughs> I love how you DM me just gay in all caps. Yeah. Oh my god. Yay! Um, I was on the edge of my seat because, like I was alluding to earlier, just the, the part of the beauty of these incredibly detailed character models is how much um, is how much you're able to see in terms of nuance of, like, eyes and and looks and touch and subtle nuances there. Mm -hmm. And um, you could just feel this slow burn happening over the course of the adventure between Seika and Aloy. And I was, I I very much avoided any sort of spoilers about the DLC because I, I just wanted, I don't know. It's typically if I want to play a game, I try not to get spoiled because it takes a lot of my motivation out of playing. Mm. Um, So throughout the course of the thing, I was like, oh my God, is this, did they just like Aloy touches Seika's shoulder to comfort her and Seika like looks pointedly (laughs) at the hand and then looks at Aloy when Aloy walks away. And I'm just like, is this? (laughs) What is? Yeah. Oh my God, you say things. (laughs) Well, unfortunately I got spoiled because there were some fucking reviews that just straight up said in the title. Like I literally I got spoiled because there was some some article got posted and the title was literally like Horizon Burning Shores adds queer romance option for Aloy. I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for that. So (laughs) I I knew going in and I was kind of looking for the signs, but I was still I was still very happy to see it. I mean, we talked this to death, I think, in our spoiler cast like, well, 
one thing we had been speculating was whether or not Aloy was asexual because mm-hmm. it's just she had throughout the game multiple people, mostly yeah. dudes, come on to her and she's just yeah. kind of like blank faced or yeah. either either blank faces them or seems visibly uncomfortable with mm-hmm. their like errand being the most the one that she's most uncomfortable about his just like yeah. sad dog pining after her that's oh like God. very uncomfortable at in yeah, moments of Forbidden West where it's like this dude is clearly over the moon for her and she wants nothing to do with him and he is just yeah. like depressed about it visibly mm. in front of her at mm-hmm. all times um she's <laughs> really uncomfortable it's a lot <laughs> they need to get get Aaron to a uh, different love therapy. interest yeah <laughs> some therapy yeah. <laughs> like, yeah just work that shit out but um yeah so we were starting to speculate if maybe she was going to be ace and i we weren't the only ones i think uh guessing at that um Mm -hmm. but then yeah in in this game like i think it's pretty obvious early on that uh you know initially interpreted as friendship with with seika and then it there's some awkward moments and like just the way she's like reacting so intensely when they have the the moment where the trust falls through and they kind Mm -hmm. of get in a little bit of a fight and she feels like seika's really hurt like how seriously she takes that and the way it builds uh to kind of the the beautiful final scene where seika confesses that she has feelings for aloy and then they give you a choice Mm -hmm. of how to respond um and the choices are I'm going to mess this up, but one is it's a heart symbol and it's basically like fully reciprocate. I feel the same way. Yeah, (laughs) I feel the same way. There's one that's I'm not ready for this. Mm -hmm. And there's one that is it just I can't do this. Uh, Yeah, it's like, yeah, like I don't want this or I can't do this. I don't want this. I can't. Yeah. So basically from the scale of like fully accept to somewhere in between, I'm not ready. And Mm -hmm. then like more fully reject yeah although i i did watch a video of all three options and even the fully reject option is not in none of the options does aloy say i'm not gay i'm Mm. or like flat out i'm not into you at all Mm -hmm. it's more couched in like specifically the full-on rejection one is more like i'm trying to fucking save the world right now Mm. this like there's no space in my life for what you're offering which makes some degree of sense um yeah but I did, I guess I appreciate that they're not giving you the option to actually decide whether or not Aloy is queer. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I still, appreciate that. I, I don't know. I I have mixed feelings about the fact that they give you a choice in that moment at all, rather than just like committing to a narrative. I was curious what you mm. thought about that and which option su- you picked. Yeah. I mean, obviously I picked, I feel the same way. Obviously. <laughs> and, I, and to the point about her being asexual, I feel like that could still be true. Like, uh-huh. I felt like the romance was handled very chastely. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, they, they kiss if you, if you, and it's a beautiful, very romantic, and, like, just the, the kiss scene was, I was like, it brought a tear to my eye. Like, it was <laughs> yeah, just it was so really, tender. Really well handled, yeah. Um, but she never, but it never feels, like, sexual. Like, it's a very, like, um... It's a very like honorable. That's a great point. Yeah. Love, mm-hmm. uh, like it's very. It's it's a promise. It's a you know. It's and it's an acknowledgement of tenderness. Um, and it's and it feels very almost like a knight. Like like her her Aloy's uh tone throughout is is just um, I don't know. It I, I thought they handled it in a way where you could still sort of leave room for for her to be ace um but there's mm-hmm. definitely like romantic 
um, feeling there and sort mm-hmm. of a like, you know, I'm gonna even, you know, no matter how long we might be apart and uh, where our paths take us right now, like, I still am holding a candle for you kind of vibe, which is so lesbian, by the way. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so that was the option I picked. I was surprised that I was being given the choice. Um, but I think I I completely agree with you that like, I'm glad that they, it wasn't like, oh, I'm not, I'm not queer. Um, I like that that's a sort of, uh, I mean, and, and of course, within that, that could mean many things. Like as Jamie and I were discussing yesterday, like she could be bi, she could be pan, like there could be all sorts of of reads there, but but you couldn't deny her queerness. Um, I did feel like, again, I do think it makes sense for her character to have reasons to completely reject it in terms of like what you were saying about um what she's got going on right now and just the enormity of what she's carrying on her shoulders. I could see why she uh, wouldn't want to give someone false expectations about what her emotional capacity actually is. Um, So I think I, I wasn't necessarily put off by the option to turn it down, but I liked that even if you turned her down, it's not like a full on like rejection of who she is as a person. It's more having to do with external factors. Yeah, I agree with that. I do agree with that. Um, I also chose the, like accepted the romance option. However, when I went back and watched um, more of the, like I, I watched a video for all three endings because initially when I saw that you had those three options, I was concerned that they were basically letting players make a choice mm. mm-hmm. there as to whether or not she was, uh, she was queer. And so I was happy to see that they were not giving players that choice that like, it still feels like Aloy's canonically queer. Um, and, uh, if, of course, even despite that, there's plenty of people who are pissed about it. But of course. That's, we don't even yeah. need to get into that. There's people pissed yeah. about everything all the time always. Mm-hmm. But in watching the video with all the different endings, um, I was really struck by the dialogue that occurs with the I'm not ready for this ending. And I actually mm-hmm. wrote it down to to share because I thought they have Aloy say this thing that I I guess for me, I the game does has given us these inflection points at various parts in the story, but they're so infrequent as to almost feel unnecessary. I I don't know. Mm. I've always had mixed feelings about the way the game interjects these. um, And they almost always come up with uh, there's a little heart symbol, a brain symbol and a fist symbol and these Mm -hmm. three different choices. But it's like, I feel like you could count on one hand the number of times this happened in Horizon Forbidden West. And so it's just like, (laughs) why are we even getting these options if we're, it doesn't really feel like I'm coloring in a version of Aloy when I get this option so infrequently. And I'd almost rather the developers just committed to the Aloy that they wanted to present. And Mm -hmm. so anyway, what I liked about the I'm not ready for this ending is it felt to me, uh, well, let me read it and then, and then I'll, I'll come in on it. So, If you choose, I'm not ready for this, which is like the in-between choice. Aloy says this. She says, ever since I was an outcast, I've been fighting. Machines, AI, Zenith, even whole tribes. It's all I know. And the truth is, even though I've been fighting for people, good people, I've only just begun to understand them. For a long time, I barely knew how to make a friend. And now this, I just don't think I'm ready to take the step you want me to. And what I mm-hmm. like about this bit of dialogue is that I feel like it actually articulates exactly 
the journey that I think Aloy has been on, which is that she is just starting to understand human relationships and connections. And I think what would have been cool to me is if they had just committed to who Aloy is as a character, incorporated some of this into a scene where, like, she does still accept Seika's love, but it is with this caveat of, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing in this avenue because I barely, mm-hmm. I'm only just starting to understand human connections and relationships. And I, because I don't know that Aloy would be fully ready at this point to be in a relationship. Yeah. And her and Seika don't start a relationship. Like, they kiss, they embrace, they have a really sweet moment if you accept the romance option. Um, and then they accept that they both have shit they have to do um, and that they're going to part ways for a bit. I really hope that and the way I took it was that we could very much still see and would see Seika in the next game. Yeah. Um, and that she would be a part of the final battle, like wherever the third game leads, she would be a part of that journey. Um, but that they both have things in the immediate that they need to do and they're not sure when they're going to see each other again. Yeah. But the the response that Aloy gives in the romance option just feels it feels super emotionally mature for a character that even though I wanted her and Seika to hook up. So that was the option that I picked. Her response yeah. like felt so emotionally mature that it seemed yeah. a little bit beyond where she might actually be in terms of what we've seen from Aloy in the in the current story. And so, yeah, I just wish they had just I don't know. I just want them to write the Aloy character that they want us to have Mm -hmm. and kind of stop doing these half measures of like she's your character but she's ours like 95 Mm percent of the time it's it's like no just tell me a good story and like figure out who this fucking character is like why are we getting this choice here it almost felt like they want us to tell them who Aloy is but it's like if you Mm -hmm. don't know then you know like the game developers (laughs) like if you guys don't know who Aloy is then I don't I don't don't know if I can tell you I don't know if I can help you figure that out yeah but anyway I, I just wanted to share that I really liked that the way she contextualized that and I think it's I think that response feels a bit more true to her character for me and I would have liked to see that just combined with something that still ended on a positive note of her and Seika like acknowledging their feelings for each other but Aloy also being like I don't know if I'm like emotionally mature enough for anything that I'm feeling right now because I don't I'm still trying to figure out how humans human yeah, I, I think that that's really spot on. I, I think in the moment I was sort of like, is this happening? Like it was so, <laughs> it felt almost kind of out of left field, like not the, not Seika's confession or the conversation, but just Aloy being like, yeah, like let's do this. Like, like kiss and Aloy's like, you know, um, like I want, I've wanted this too. like, the future we're going to be pulled apart as we are, you know, attending to our responsibilities, but like, I want to be with you. Um, like it just sort of is like, has Aloy ever seen a romantic, like a healthy romantic couple like ever? Like, I mean, she was raised completely outcast and then she was with various people, uh, in an adventure setting, but there was never like any, like I've never seen her interact with like a couple before or even to know, like, I mean, the, when these two kissed, it was like a movie. Like I was like, have you ever even seen people <laughs> kiss? Like, well, I feel and like I'm not, first, <laughs> I, I feel like some of the early scenes when Varl and Zoe are starting to flirt with each other, like Aloy has some like visible like discomfort. And I I just remember the scene where she's like in the tent and Varl and Zoe are outside of it, like 
clearly like flirting with each other and mm-hmm. Aloy like seems like just there's a discomfort there. So like that's kind of the only interaction she's had with a romantic relationship that I that we've seen in yeah. the games, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah I it, as much as I shipped her and Seika together, the the romance ending did just feel like a oh, who is this person? This is a like it didn't feel yeah. didn't necessarily feel 100% true to it's Aloy. Very very neat and and clean and i guess what i hope is that like you said like, i think there's promise that seika will be in the third game because she even says like i don't plan to return home with the quen like i don't mm-hmm. i want to like part of it's like i want to be with you and part of it is like i just don't know where i belong anymore and things mm-hmm. are different now and so i can only hope that they ex- like I get that they wanted to give us a happy ending in the DLC, but I hope that that's sort of explored more in the next game, like what yeah. it means for them to be in relationship and more of Aloy sort of like figuring out like, who is she in a relationship? Like, what does it mean for her? Like, what is it like navigating all the intense emotions of like caring about someone else in this way and being vulnerable in this way? Yeah. Because I think you're totally right. It's like very scary and a challenge that like she doesn't even understand yet. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're spot on with like it would have been nice to maybe just integrate um, more of those realistic thought processes and feelings she'd be having into an ending that isn't wholly unromantic, um, but maybe just sort of treats it more realistically. Because this was very like disney ending <laughs> yep yeah the world of horizon <laughs> yeah but but i am excited overall by the the prospect of this and and i do as you were just alluding like i really hope that they they carry this relationship forward into the third game and that <clears throat> that we continue to get more of Aloy's interior and as she you know tries to grow into this and process it uh there's one more spoilery thing i want to talk about which is the did you go back to the base at the very end and have the final conversation with silence oh my god yeah oh i mean uh, still everything with silence in this game is heartbreaking to me because of uh you know lance reddick's passing but that final conversation that him and aloy have i think what I'm assuming will be the final conversation she ever has with silence. Cause I can't imagine them recasting him mm-hmm. for the third game or anything like that. And I think it's way too early for them to have recorded anything mm-hmm. with Lance Reddick. I, the one thing that we might get is some cobbled together, like a line or two, or maybe some like written memos from him in the third game, mm-hmm. but I'm fully expecting him to be dead by the time the the third game starts. Mm-hmm. Um, that character to be killed off due to Lance Reddick's passing. But uh, yeah, so after, after you finish the main mission of burning shores, you have your conversation with Seika silence calls you back to the main base to have a final conversation with him. So he can show you some new information he's gotten. And, and I think kind of alluding to perhaps where the third game will start with this idea that there are, is it, oh, now I'm forgetting. There's it's more like AIs. Other, there's other companies besides the company that made the AIs that you have been fighting in the game. And they've sort of, they knew Nemesis uh, was a thing that would be coming. Mm-hmm. And so there were other companies that had developed weapons to combat okay. um, Nemesis. And so we've got to go find these companies and figure out if their tech is still salvageable and maybe there's a weapon we can use. 
Yeah. And he's basically saying he's going to go off and do this on his own. And Aloy has a little confrontation confrontation with him about that. Um, and just pointing out that, like, he's not alone. And why did he stay to begin with? Because at the end of Forbidden West, he was about to depart on the ship. That was kind of his motivation. And the second game was he was going to let Aloy save the world. And then he was going to flee in the Zenith mm-hmm. ship. But he decides to stay and stick around to help out. And she's kind of making the point of, like... You know, why even stick around if you're going to continue to act like you're in this all by yourself and Mm -hmm. you're not the smartest person in the room? Like, there's other people here who can help. Or even if you are the smartest person in the room, like, other people have things to contribute. I mean, really kind of speaking back a lot of the things that she's been learning over the course of the last couple of games. And then he he kind of receives that and listens to it in his own kind of, like, snarky way, kind of breaks breaks that ice a little bit and thanks her for her extraordinary contributions to yeah. to the world. And I just thought it was a really lovely character moment and just made me so sad because we could have what we could have gotten in the third game is a real shift in him as a character and seen him, yeah. you know, really grow in a lot of the ways that we've watched Aloy grow. And instead, what we're probably going to get is him like dying alone in his quest to go find these AI weapons. Oh, God. <laughs> Just like written off in a corner. But yeah, I don't know. What did you think of that final scene with him? Yeah. I mean, I have to hope that they give him a send off that he deserves mm-hmm. uh, Lance Reddick for his extraordinary contributions. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that scene was was really beautifully done. Like, um, like Aloy like spits at him. Like, you know, this is why you'll always be alone because you're incapable of um, accepting um, help, and you just all you care about is like being the smartest person in the world or the room or whatever. Mm-hmm. And as she's walking away, he's like, he thanks her, um, and is like, like Aloy, wait, like. I'm not going to be like fighting nemesis is not something that any one person can do on their own. And mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for your extraordinary contributions. And it shows her like smile, like she doesn't stop. She like smiles and keeps walking. Um, but then the doors like slowly close on silence as he's watching her walk away. And it just felt like such a, I don't know. That was another moment that gave me chills. Cause you really could feel God, his voice acting and just presence yeah, is just so incredible. Just, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was sort of a, a really sweet, um, you know, final line. If if that is the last we hear of his voice and and if that is the last we see of his character, too, at least it ended on a note of hope. Um, and I, I mm-hmm. just did feel like it was a really great scene. And I'm glad I went back and talked to him. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh and I think feel like I guess I'm wondering how. I suppose there's been a few op- few moments where people have thanked Aloy for what she's done, but I don't know. This one held a lot more weight than uh, some of you know. I feel like Sun King of Odd probably thanked Aloy for some of the mm-hmm. stuff she didn't. Like I'm sure there's been moments where various tribal leaders and other warriors and stuff that she's fought alongside have thanked Aloy for the work she's done. But there's something about Silence has always been positioned as someone who was smarter than Aloy, who understood, who was like always a few steps ahead of her mm-hmm. um, and kind of a, I don't know, a weird dark mentor yeah. in some ways um, when it comes to her understanding herself and understanding the technology of the the past and, and all that. Yeah. And so for him to finally acknowledge 
what she's done and the way that that manifested was really powerful for me too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like would be a big moment for, for Ayla who maybe wasn't specifically in that moment seeking his, um, his approval or anything like that, but he's not someone who's ever been very charitable with his words or, or, or made any allusions to her being capable really like he's mostly kind of set her up to use her because she is so capable, but he's kind of been, you know, manipulating her into various scenarios to get what he wants. And so yeah, that, yeah, that moment was really powerful. I think for both characters um, yeah. and just like a big development for, for silence. And if that is the last moment we ever really get with him on the screen, I do think it's a, a, it's a strong send off, but it really is too bad. Um, and made me sad for, for everything that we're going to lose. Yeah. I think too, like for one of her flaws is that I do think Aloy sees, uh, people as sort of like not on her level. Um, Mm -hmm. like she's sort of dismisses people because they don't, they don't know the truth of things. They're still stuck, like treating these machines like deities, but she knows the truth and religion is stupid and she's annoyed and often frustrated with people where they're at. So I kind of feel like when they thank her, I think she feels uncomfortable and even alienated by this idea that she's got this sort of divine knowledge or that she's, Mm -hmm. you know, they call her like, what is it? Like one of the, um, I forget the word they use for it, but they call her, this like special name, like as a a reincarnation of, of one of the people that they worship, um, from the old world. And, um, so I think sort of thanks coming from people like that almost rings a little hollow for her. Mm. And so to hear it from silence, someone who she really sees as like an equal for better or worse. Um, and maybe someone she even like subconsciously, you know, not having like parents or anyone, any sort of real like mentor, like him giving that to her, I think did hit a lot harder than, than thanks she may have received in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hopes and dreams for Horizon 3. Anything more that you're, you're really wishing for with that game now having finished Burning Shores or you want to see them carry forward? I think, you know, we've already touched on definitely Seika definitely these cinematic we want to see the continuation of these cinematic fights um don't don't make us lose all of our abilities again at the beginning uh, of horizon yeah. three please um are yeah. there other things you're hoping to see i guess more weapons more mm-hmm. weapon stuff um i don't know it might be cool to like leave the u.s setting and mm, see yeah. other places like we've alluded to the fact that on the on other areas of the world, like the Quen have this whole empire. Like I mm-hmm. kind of want to see where, where other countries, like what the, what other people have gotten up to and what the rest of the world kind of looks like. Um, so it might be cool to go on a more global scale, even though who knows what that's going to do to the map, which was already huge and <laughs> forbidden West. Um, but I think definitely more Seika. That's my main thing. Yeah. More Seika. I definitely agree with that. I'd love to see her, uh, yeah, become one of the people that's at the base. You know, you've got all your friends yeah. there in the different rooms. Um, I am. I think we saw more of it in in Burning Shores, and I hope to see that continue. But like your companions actually being on missions with you, yes, I'd love. I mean, maybe this is a pipe dream, but I'd love in three if you're even able to select, like if different yes. companions have different abilities, and if you can kind of pick who you want to come with you. I feel like. 
something I noticed in Forbidden West was like it felt like they got all the way to the edge of this and then didn't allow it, which was like actually building relationships with the the characters in your base, almost like a Mass Effect style thing. There was a lot mm-hmm. about the base and the way you could go around and talk to people between missions that felt like Mass Effect to me and the way you could talk to the different members of your team on the ship. Um, but then they don't give you the option to like choose who comes with you or like actually make decisions in the conversation trees with the characters and stuff like that. And so it it was just like a step removed from that level of depth. And I do think it'd be cool if they let us go that far, especially if they want us to be filling in Aloy more again. I feel like the game really can't decide if they want Aloy to be ours or theirs. And I really wish they would just pick because the mm-hmm. Habsies that they do is I I don't love. But yeah, I, I'd love to see more companion quests and more uh just just effort or more time put into getting to choose who you want to be companions with who you want to run around and do missions with and let them come with me in the open world that would be fucking great if you could just have a companion traversing with you even when you're just going out to hunt yeah Um, i want some banter yeah that'd be great all right time is up for today's session of pixel therapy in typical fashion for us when we get talking about horizon it go long (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, but thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you want more pixel therapy come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month Plus, get opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Twitter and Instagram at Pixel Therapy Pod. That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. This week, we're bringing to you needs.org, N-E-A-D-S.org. They are a nonprofit organization established in 1976 that has trained over 1,900 service dog teams since its founding. Needs is accredited by Assistance Dogs International, a recognized governing body that establishes industry standards and practices. So they raise dogs, service dogs, to put them in your home. Um, They're based in Massachusetts. and you can on their website, you can donate, you can sign up to raise a puppy, you can get involved, um, you can support them and you can learn about all that they do um, to put amazing service dogs into homes that need them at needs dot org. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Therapy. Goodbye. (laughs) Welcome to Pixel Therapy, where the video... Where the (laughs) video games are gaming. (laughs) Where the video games are gaming and the players are playing. Uh... (laughs) 